Hello, I'm Miriam Ogle, English teacher at a high school in Fresno, California. I am a member of the EdTech Army, and I try to help others and learn constantly as much as I can. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect, but I can try and get better, right? Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Sons of Technology. Today, we're going to talk about the future, the future of fall reopenings, and the number one scenario that most schools are looking at implementing when returning in the fall, and that is a hybrid scenario. That means teaching students in a face-to-face -face environment while still having students in a at-home distance learning environment. So it's going to be a very interesting and informative discussion today. Let's go ahead and introduce ourselves before we begin. My name is Joe Marquez. I am an educator out of the Central Valley of California, and you can find me on the Twitters at Joe Marquez 70. And as always, my partner in innovation, Kyle. Kyle, please introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Kyle Anderson, special education teacher in Southern Nevada. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Same thing for Instagram, my blog, AndersonEdTech.net. And then my book, To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking, available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And you can learn more about that on its Instagram page, To the Edge EDU, and also its website, ToTheEdgeEDU.com. Absolutely. And Kyle, that's going to be a great book for educators to read over the summer because there's going to be a lot of risk-taking needed to be made during this fall semester. Now, you do say Southern Nevada now because you did move from your Northern Nevada home and you're going to be starting at a new school in a new position during this uncertain fall opening. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel okay because you're, you're not knowing what to expect and you're just going to go with the flow? Does it make you a little anxious because you don't know what to expect? What are you thinking right now? Well, I, I got to admit that I... I do have a little apprehension going into it because like you said, I am moving into a new school in the middle of an uncertain time at this point, still don't know what school is going to look like in the fall. There's different scenarios that are being tossed out there, but I don't know what it's going to look like. I, I know a couple people that work at the school from previous um, schools that I worked at, but other than that, I don't know who my colleagues are. I don't really know who my administration is. I, and I certainly don't know the kids in the school. So I do have a little bit of apprehension about that. But I did have a great conversation with my other podcast partner, Ben Dixon, and also Randall Sampson here recently, and just kind of talking about how using the digital platform gave teachers the opportunity to connect with our kids almost at any time. I don't want to use 24-7 because you know three o'clock in the morning is not a time to be contacting a student or a parent or anything by that means. But but Randall really kind of emphasized how you're tied down when you're in the classroom to that hour, that hour and a half or whatever it is every day or every other day. Whereas with the digital environment, 
you could reach a kid at any time. So I may not know the students, but in the beginning, I'm obviously going to have contact info of some sort, whether it be email addresses, home phone numbers, what have you. And making that initial contact, once I get that out of the way, I'll have access to these students at any given time. And there's a variety of different ways that I'll be able to access them, whether it is, again, through phone or email, or if it's something else like Google Meet or a Zoom uh, video conference or something like that. So really the possibilities are endless on how it can happen. And after that conversation, I, I feel a lot better and I'm a lot more competent looking forward to six weeks, eight weeks or whatever it is from now when school does start back up again in whatever shape it's going to be. Yeah, you know, we've, we've been saying that, you know, this COVID pandemic is not ideal. But can you imagine this have happened 10 years ago? right? But we don't have all these technology resources to stay connected with our students. So while it's not ideal to be happening, at least it's happening in a time where we do have these resources and we do have accessibility to meet the needs of all of our students. And Kyle, you mentioned the reopening scenario. So I've been doing a lot of research on this subject across the United States. And basically it's narrowed down to five different scenarios that schools can look forward to coming in to this fall semester. Uh, and they, they go from one spectrum to the, to the next. So the first one is business as usual. That means, hey, in, in August, we're all returning to school. We're all coming back. We're not going to do any distance learning, but we still have to abide by the CDC guidelines. And what that means is you're still going to have to be able to have those six-foot distances, social distancing within the classroom. You're still going to have to uh, many teachers are going to have to be wearing PPE during their instruction as well. So in this scenario, you're going to have to not only find more space in your school in order to keep those social distancing guidelines in place, but you're also going to have to find more teachers if you're going to have to split them up. So that's an issue with that scenario. Another one would be like the adjusted calendar, which means they're going to start a little bit later to, to give the teachers and the administrators a little bit more time to figure out what they want to do. Um, and then this could also allow for like a, a traditional schedule school to kind of move into a year round model where you teach for a couple of months and then you have like a buffer in the middle to reassess, teach for a couple of months and you have another month of a buffer to reassess. And, and that could relieve some anxiety of a long-term kind of learn from home or be in classroom kind of environment. But the middle one is the most popular and that is the on-site slash remote. That is called the hybrid model. And this model looks as if it's going to have that social distancing in the class with about 18 to 20 students for most classes in secondary. And the other students in the class are going to be learning from home. And in that model, they're platooning the students. And I've seen a lot of different uh, scenarios in this platooning. One of the most popular is the AB split, where you have a group of students you label A and a group of students you label B. And the group A students come to class on Mondays and Wednesdays and learn at home on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then the B group does the opposite. They stay at home Monday and Wednesday, and then they go to class on Tuesday and Thursday. And then Friday, everybody stays home, and the teachers use that as a PD day. Um, and then a lot of schools are, are, are doing that, but the model is two days of school, uh, two days at school, and then three days of learning at home. There's a couple goods and a couple bads about this. Good is you at least get to see your teacher. So if you have any confusing information from the distance learning, you have any problems, you at least have the time in class to talk to your teacher. Um, but the bad thing is when they're at home, 
how are they going to access that teacher? Uh, a lot of teachers are worried. Does that mean I have to teach both students at the same time? Do I have to learn how to stream my class? These are a lot of questions. So that's why we're having this episode on this hybrid strategy, because that is the number one scenario that we are seeing across the United States that schools are looking towards. What are some of your thoughts on this, Kyle? Like if you at your new school had the choice between these scenarios, which one would you pick and how would you approach it? Well, right now with, you're seeing more and more cases that are starting to pop up and some people are going to explain it as it's because there's more testing. So that's why you're seeing more of these. But at the same time, people are getting out more and they're being exposed. And that's part of the reason why, or the reason why many of these cases are starting to jump up again. So right now I'm almost in kind of this, we need to just stay in the full digital format for right now. So if it was ultimately up to me, I think I would stay in the, in the full digital format until this calms down more. Now in six to eight weeks, it could be a lot different at that point. So I'm saying that based on what we're seeing now here in the middle of June of 2020. What that's going to look like in August of 2020 could be a lot different. So, But based on the different scenarios, the one that sounds the most feasible right now would probably be the hybrid model of two days on, two days off, with the fifth day being off completely for the students. And A, like you said, it gives teachers the opportunity to work with students, okay? And the teachers, or excuse me, the students would be able to see their teachers. It's limiting the number of students that are going to be on campus at one time. So, I'm going to be working at a school that's got over 3,000 students on the campus. So cutting that in half down to 1,500, okay, ultimately right there, you're already looking at less of a chance for exposure if you can spread students out amongst your campus. And really what needs to happen though too, and I'm not hearing a lot of this from the different scenarios and the things I've been hearing, is what kind of a choice students have when it comes to this. So Parents and families ultimately need to have the choice that if they don't feel safe, they don't need to send their student to the school regardless of what the format is. So if it is that two on, two off, fifth day off, if a student doesn't feel safe going to school, the parent doesn't feel safe, then they don't go. Then they're in that full digital format. And you're just, you're not hearing enough about that right now, in my opinion. No, you're absolutely right. No matter what scenario is going to be chosen, you're going to have a, a particular number or percentage of students who will not return. And that makes sense to me because for the last couple of weeks now, I've asked my wife, hey, when are we going to return our daughters to daycare? And my wife always says to me, what has changed? She goes, we've, we've taken them out because of this risk but now you want to put them back, but there's still this risk. What has changed besides them cleaning the place a little bit more? And I know parents are going to feel that same way. And I know there are people out there saying, well, you know, look at all the data. There's been no, there's been either zero or very few deaths of individuals under a particular age range. They're not at risk for that kind of thing. We're not talking about the students. We're talking about our community right? That's what we're talking about. Because we have to remember that all of our students live different lives and they live different family styles as well. And many of our students, they live in multi-generational households where they have aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmas and grandpas all living and congregating under the same roof. And if a student does contract this virus in school, even if that student doesn't come down with any illness, 
he is still able to pass it on to his family members, which can cause some kind of issue, even death at home. And we can't risk that because imagine the psyche of a student knowing they contracted this virus at school, brought it home, and they ended the life of one of their family members. And I know that that's an extreme case to some, but it could be a common occurrence if we don't abide by science. And I'm a science teacher and I let science guide my decisions when it comes to health. And the CDC, the California Department of Health, the California Department of Education, everybody agrees that social distancing six feet apart is gonna help at least deter the spread of this disease. And California has even gone as far as to say, um, educators and students should be wearing masks in class. And I know that can raise some hands and cause some alarm saying students shouldn't be forced to wear masks. I'm an educator. How am I going to talk to my students? I understand those things, but we are living in a different time and we have to start making different decisions, not based upon our personal preferences. We have to abide by the health and safety of not only our students, but our community and their family as well. Well, and to take that a step further, even because so many cases are starting to pop up, I noticed where the governor of California has now ordered that if you're in public, you should be wearing a mask, period. So it's, it's coming down from the governor now, whereas it used to be the local jurisdictions were making that decision. The state of Nevada is doing the same thing now, or at least looking into it, where the governor here in Nevada is also exploring, should we require everybody to wear masks when they're in public. And there are some places that are. If you go to a place like, say, Costco, you're required to wear a mask when you go there. And if you don't have one, they provide one for you. I am personally still wearing a mask whenever I go in public because I, I just feel safer that way. So whether or not it really truly is going to prevent me from getting this disease, I don't know. But it, it gives me the satisfaction knowing that I feel safer when I do that. Have I gone to restaurants a couple different times? Absolutely, I have. But they're, they're spaced out. I'm wearing my mask in there when I'm not eating. So I'm taking those precautions. And if that's what it takes in order to make a school safer, I am 100% by all means ready, willing, and able to wear a mask in school. So, And you talk about how there's critics out there saying that, well, you can't force a kid to wear a mask. So Ultimately, a school, if they have that directive, you need to wear a mask, they're going to have students wear a mask. Do I agree with some sort of progressive discipline that would maybe come along with that? I have seen surveys about this. Should there be progressive discipline for students that refuse to wear a mask? I don't agree with that by any means. My thought is, again, if you don't want to wear the mask, then your choice should be that you can stay home and still receive your education. So, uh, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, though, because now you're telling people that if you don't do this, you have to go home, and some will argue, well, their education may not be as strong coming from home as if they were in seat in school or something like that. So another concern you have to have is there are some students that it's not that they're refusing to wear the mask or the parents refusing to wear the mask, but younger students are probably going to struggle wearing a mask and keeping up with social distancing guidelines. And then you also have students with special needs. Some of them just, they're not going to be able to because of their disability. So those are some concerns that have to be addressed as well. So all of a sudden, if you have a self-contained classroom, 
of students that are not wearing their masks? Do you have to send them home and take away from their education as a result of that? It, it's a really tough uh, thing to look at right now. Yeah, there's, there's an absolutely a lot of moving parts. And people may be listening to this, and I thought this was a hybrid strategy show. We have to start talking about why we're going into this hybrid strategy. And Kyle, talking about what you said is, you know, some people say they're not getting as great of an education at home as they would in school. We want to help with that. We want to help make your hybrid classroom the best it can be face-to-face -face and the best it can be at home. So we want to go through just some strategies that can make your um, pushing out of assignments, make your experience in the classroom a little bit different, make the experience of, of learning at home for the students a little bit more uh, of an experience. Those are the things we want to talk with you, but we had to address some of the issues that people are going to be facing when coming back. And as you said earlier on, Kyle, even if a school is you know, really moving forward with business as usual, every student in class, you're still going to have a subsect of the population who is not going to want to return. So teachers are still going to have to know how to teach in a hybrid fashion, not just in a traditional face-to-face -face fashion. And ultimately, regardless of how things start back up, it has to start with communication. If you're in a business as usual setting, if you're in a full digital setting, or if you're in the hybrid, that's what is most likely going to be the case. It has to start with communication. There's a lot of different ways that this can be addressed. First things first, every school, if you don't have a website yet, schools have to have a website at this point. It, it is 2020. You should have had a website 15 years ago minimum, in my opinion, but you have to have a website. But even then, when you go on a lot of school or district websites, trying to find the staff information and contact info for staff is sometimes just tedious as all out. So I can't tell you how many times I've been on school websites where I click on something thinking like, oh, this thing right here that says staff, that's got to be it. When you click on it, it's links for people that work at the school for the SIS or other things on there. So you have to have a website and you have to have contact info posted to the website for all teachers. And I'm going to go as far as saying too that there should be a picture of the teacher on the website as well. Okay. That way you're matching a face to a name and you know who you're communicating with once you are looking to communicate with that person. Kyle, I'm smiling because I love that you picked communication first because that is absolutely key. It's, it's not only key when we start teaching again, it's key right now because districts need to check the pulse of the community, pull their, their parents, pull their students on what they are going to be looking for when schools stand up again. So communication is absolutely key. But I'm laughing as well because I actually uh, did a presentation for the District Learning Leadership Conference these past three days. And my last session that I gave was on creating community confidence with creative communication. And do you know the very first thing that I talked about? Websites. And it's exactly what you said. The district websites have so much information and so many links and so many sublinks that it can be very confusing for parents. And so I recommended on the very front page to have a Google form or a Microsoft form that has mail merge or um, some kind of VLOOKUP autocrat mixed in. So a parent can go on. If they can't find what they're looking for, they can select from a list and they put in their email address and it automatically sends them an email with, with a pre-made set of information that maybe for that page, maybe some links 
that they can easily click on to go where they want to go to. But that automation from Google Forms using something like Formule or Autocrat, that could be a huge benefit to parents during this time and then alleviate some of those frantic phone calls that some of the district offices may be receiving during this fall semester as well. Yeah, so but having that contact info right there, having that form right there, front page, top of the web, website, excuse me, absolutely key. So the, the thing is, though, a lot of people, they, they don't use email. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, one thing I learned over the last three months of corn teaching was that email sometimes wasn't the best way to get a hold of somebody. So you got to be able to make phone calls too. However, there are people that are, they don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable using their own personal phone to make those phone calls though. So, but there's workarounds with that too. So one of the ones that my previous district, uh, they had encouraged us to use was use star six, seven, you dial star six, seven, then the phone number, then it, show, it will not show your phone number on the other end. But to me, that was also almost counterintuitive as well because if anybody is like me, if they see a phone number or a phone call come in and it's restricted or a blocked number or no information, whatever, I'm not answering that. I, I just don't answer those kinds of calls because 99 out of 100 times they're, they're, they're scam calls or something of that matter. So I'm not gonna answer that. So. But there's other ways that you can do that. So, and one of the great things that's out there, it's a free tool, is Google Voice, where you can create a phone number that's linked to your Google account, and then you can use that much like you would a regular phone. I was doing, when I was doing all my phone calls, I was using that on the computer where I would have my headset on, and I would make the dial from the web browser, and then it was just like talking on a regular phone. And uh, I, there was times where people said, uh, that I looked like a telemarketer because I had the little headset on with the, with the earpiece coming and the mouthpiece coming around and everything. And I looked like a telemarketer doing it, but it was effective. And I could text message from it because what I learned was that a lot of parents, they don't want to talk on the phone, but they'll text you. So I was able to text message through that as well. And then if I wasn't at my computer, I had the Google voice app on my phone and I could tie that into my phone where mm -hmm. I can make phone calls and text messages from that Google Voice app, but I'm not using my own personal number, but it's coming into back to my phone just like it would. And, and with my phone, I have a Google Pixel. When a phone call was coming in that was from my Google Voice number, it actually said on the screen, Google Voice, and then the phone number coming in. So it was, it was so easy to do that. And then with the ones that I was frequently contacting, uh, i.e. my caseload students and their families, I saved their numbers in my Google account. That way I didn't have to go and look the phone number up every time. I just saved the numbers in there. And when I knew I had to call Joe Marquez's uh, mother, I would just type in there, Joe, and it would come up, boom, hit send. And then I, would able, I was able to make the call or I could send the text message. So it's, it, there's no excuse to not be able to make that contact, uh, even if you're uncomfortable using your own personal phone number because you got tools like Google Voice that can do that for you. Yeah, and, and Google Voice is free um, if you're using your own personal Gmail. So I highly recommend that as well. I used to do that all the time, and, and um, it would tr it'll transcribe a voicemail. If they leave a voicemail, it'll leave a transcription just like it was a text. So if you get something like that during class, you can actually see what the parent is saying. So that's a phenomenal idea. Another thing that I used to use all the time for communication is Remind. 
Remind is a great tool. Um, it, it, it comes in through a text message to parents. They don't need a smartphone, any phone that has a, a text message option, um, they'll get it. Um, and then you can, you can set it to where um, people can respond back to you or they can't. It could be a one-way communication. So that works out really well. And then another great thing about Remind is you can schedule messages because you may forget that something's coming up or you may, you may think of something at the beginning of the day you want to send to parents, but forget at the end of the day. So you can go on the remind.com um, app uh, on the computer and then just type in a scheduled uh, message and it'll go out to all parents and you can separate it out. These are my parents. They'll get, they're going to fill out uh, this number for my remind for my parents. And these are for my students. So you can also separate out messages straight to parents or straight to students. Yeah, and another similar one, uh, my daughter's school used this one was Class Dojo, where the teacher was able to send messages to my wife and I using the Class Dojo app. And uh, we were also able to upload schoolwork into that to send to the teacher. So she wanted evidence that my daughter was doing different work. So we were able to take pictures and upload that as evidence. So that's a great one too. But another one that's kind of overlooked, I, in my opinion at least, is whatever SIS student information system that your school is using oftentimes has a messaging aspect to it. So for example, the state of Nevada, pretty much, I believe every school district in the state uses infinite campus and in infinite campus, there's a messaging app within there to where you can type out, it's essentially an email and then send it out to just students, just parents or parents and students. And it'll be, you can set it to where it'll send to the email addresses on file or because a lot of, especially high school students, they want to be on top of their grades all the time and get the notifications on their phone. They can download the infinite campus app. And then the parents have the parent portal app that they can download too. the message can be sent to the parent portal and the student portal as well. So they don't even necessarily have to check their email because they can get it right in the portals that infinite campus provides. Now, am I, not sure about other SISs out there. I'm sure that there's a similar system for some of the other ones that are out there, but check and see if your student information system has a messaging app that's within it, because that was an effective way for me as well during the quarantine where I would send messages out on that. And then, you know, parents would contact me as a result of getting that message say, Hey, I got this message. And it said that my daughter hasn't completed this assignment. That's 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 hundred percent correct. I did send that message. So no, it's, it was a great little tool for me. No, and and that's great because when schools purchase these SISs, they're shown all of these capabilities, all these bells and whistles. And it turns out teachers are only using half a whistle and zero bells, right? And so being able to figure out the communications that are ingrained into that system is incredibly important. Um, you know, I had a conversation with parents once that I, I asked them. You know, during um, back to school night, what is the most difficult thing about being a parent in the K-12 system? And the parents said, communication. And I was like, well, oh, really? Why do, why do you say that? And they go, well, because parent, teachers are saying they're sending me emails. That's, that's a lot of emails. They're saying, if you want to know information, um, go, go log into your student's SIS system or go um, to my website. And parents said, you know how that feels to a parent who has a kid in elementary two kids in junior high and two kids in high school. That's over 30 emails I get every day. That's over 30 websites I have to visit. That's over 30, 30, 30. They said, that's too much. They said, 
I should, I should have the information sent to me in an easy fashion, not have to go searching. And I was like, you know, that's kind of right because I had this dynamic website and I would always tell parents, if you want to know information, it's on my website, but I never thought of it that way. And so I asked, what would make it easier? She goes, some kind of voice or video service that you do a quick, this is what you did in the class. This is what to expect next week. That's all I want under a minute. Can you do that? And that's when I came up with the idea of the state of the classroom address. And I started doing that in YouTube when they used to allow you to record a video right off of the YouTube platform. And every Friday, I would do a quick one minute synopsis of what did we do in class, what was needed to be turned in and what to expect next week. Um, and then I, I uh, adapted it to Flipgrid. So then I made a Flipgrid channel that parents could uh, subscribe to and see that state of the classroom address. And then just recently, about six months ago, Wakelet um, integrated Flipgrid right into Wakelet. So now you can do a, a state of the classroom address right off of a Wakelet webpage. So there's no reason why a teacher can't do that quick synopsis for a parent to watch in under a minute what's going on in the class. Yeah, that Flipgrid integration in Wakelet, I, I, I'm almost ashamed to admit it. I haven't tried it yet. It's been out there for quite a while, but I, I just haven't had a chance to try it yet. So, but that's a that's a good way to open up that communication. And then you were talking about websites. Wakelet would be a great way just to create a class website if you want something simple. The the ability to add the text and then the different links and documents in Wakelet, you could create a class website just in that, and then have that wait or excuse me that Flipgrid in there to where you can post things that you feel are important for announcements. And then that would allow for your students and their families to be able to respond as well. So, so, I mean, we've established that communication is definitely the first step. You have to have good communication to start and, and really just build that relationship and build that culture of communication up from the start. But where do we go from there though, is the big question. Well, now you have to start thinking about, how do you want your class to run? Because it's not going to be the same as students coming in every single day. And in fact, I heard a teacher say the other day, you're, you're making us do a hybrid model. I can't teach all my students everything in two days. And I'm thinking, you're, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to think you're teaching everything to them in a face-to-face -face model and then they're on their own at a distance learning home model. That's not what it's about. What, what really is about, it's like that flipped classroom model that has been really popular in the past and then started fading away. It's you are pushing things out to them in a distance learning model. And when they come to you face to face, you're having them ask you questions. You're helping them understand the material. You're helping them get stuff completed. You're using it as a service to help the students in a face to face format. You're not there to teach them something new. You may be doing some demos that you can't do in a, in a distance learning, but you're not there to do 100% of the time doing straight up lectures all of the time. So we can't think of it that way. So that's one thing we have to change is changing the way we are approaching teaching when we are in our face-to-face. -face. Because at that time, maybe the students really just want comfort. They just want to be reassured that everything's going to be okay. That might be your job. So if you're just trying to rush a whole week's worth of material into your students in two days, that's not going to work and it's going to overload your students. So we have to change the model of what our face-to-face -face instruction looks like in order to make a hybrid model successful. And this is where it's important that schools and then when you start getting breaking it down even further, departments or grade levels really need to 
work together as PLCs to figure out what that's going to look like. So you've said it a thousand times in the episodes we've done the show that if, you, if you're doing it by yourself, you're doing it wrong. So if you're trying to approach this hybrid model by yourself, you're, you're doing it wrong and you're setting yourself up for failure. So I'm very fortunate where I was at for the last three months where the department I work with on day one of the shutdown, it was okay. We just knew we, we need to come to the agreement right now that whatever we're doing is going to be common across the department. So all us history teachers, we're going to be doing the same way of assessing our students and, and assignments over the course, whether that's at the time they said it was going to be two weeks and it stretched to four and then it stretched for the entire year. All world history teachers, same thing. So if you can establish that communication, and again, it goes back to communication with the school, with the departments, the grade levels within the school to work together and figure out what it should look like, it's going to make it that much easier. And it's going to give people the ability to maybe they're really good at teaching this one thing here, but not so good at something else within the same class. You get all those heads together, can work together to create that common assignment, activity, assessment, whatever it may be to make life easier. Okay. It doesn't mean that when you're in the actual classroom that you're teaching it the exact same way. Okay. It's not a cookie cutter approach. So you can still have your freedom to teach it the way you want to, but just having the assessment of learning be common is just going to make life a lot easier for everybody involved. No, absolutely. You know, there is a trick in Google Classroom where you can share all of your assignments with all of your department. And the trick is this, you create a classroom just for your teachers called science department, or if you're an elementary teacher, second grade teachers. And what you do is you add those department teachers in as co-teachers. So you train the teachers this. So once everybody is in, that's part of their classroom repertoire. Whenever they assign a new assignment, they go into the tab that selects the classes that it sends it to, always select the department class. So now, because all the teachers are part of that department class, they can then reuse what you posted. Now, some members out there, some, some teachers out there go, oh, we do that. We, sh we, we, we do that with our classes themselves. We, we invite other teachers in as co-teachers to our classes and then they can reuse. I go, that's okay, but I did that. And some of the lesser uh, experienced Google Classroom teachers, they started posting their work into my class. And then when they were teaching in class, they couldn't find the work they posted because they had posted it in the wrong class. So then they would go in and delete it, but delete it from another teacher's class. So because you're letting all these other teachers into your class as a co-teacher, some things can happen by accident. So to prevent that, you create a class that doesn't affect the students where you can still share out this giant repository of assignments. We found this out to be a huge, huge benefit to teachers, especially in hybrid teaching, because then if they don't have time or they, they are stuck on trying to figure out how to approach a certain topic, they can go into this repository and say, oh, that's a fantastic lesson. I'm going to use it. That's exactly what we did over the last few months at my school was on day one, it was a social studies department, Google Classroom that was created. And then we took it further and used the topics and we created a topic where it was economics, world history, U.S. history, AP U.S. history. So all the different subjects within social studies created topics. And then we even had templates 
to build the the lessons out what what was going to be included and everything was posted in there under the topics with these templates and it was set to in google classroom you have student can view student can edit student can make a copy or or will receive a copy excuse me so all of those things in there were set to edit so when a teacher went in and as a co-teacher you just had the editing rights anyway so there weren't any students in there at all we just went in there and we we created the things that we needed to and then when it came time to post that assignment in our classes like you said we went to rather than create assignment we went to copy assignment that option you copied it from that social studies class economics topic whatever it may be for example and then you posted it that way and then I like to clean up the wording a little bit to make it a little bit more kid friendly than it, what it was in that school Google classroom. But other than that, I mean, it, it was, it was so simple. It was so incredibly simple. And there, there wasn't a, a bunch of arguing about like, well, this teacher is doing this and I'm not that good at that. So I can't do that. And there, there wasn't any of that because it was all, we all worked together on it and we were giving out the same thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of aha moments that happen when you do this because teachers will go, I didn't know you can do that. Or I didn't know that resource existed. Or, oh, you're linking to that website. I've never seen it before. And so indirectly, you're having a PLC meeting virtually just by sharing out what you're doing. So I really love that idea. And, and if you're not doing that in your department, you're making your life that much harder. And, and remember, some teachers say, but I created this assignment and it took me 20 hours of, of my time and why should I just give it to another teacher? And I tell you this, because the reason you spent that much time on that assignment, the reason you spent that much time putting it together is because you love your students and you want your students to have a great assignment and a great experience. So why not share it with other teachers so other students can have a great experience as well, right? Absolutely, so, and some of these different scenarios we've been seeing uh, you've mentioned or talking about having that Friday off where there's no students and that's more of a professional development day. This is your time where you create those things and you work together with your departments. So you're, you're not going to be spending a lot of extra time outside of, you know, your contracted day, quote unquote, or, you know, your evenings or whatever you if it goes the way it's supposed to based on some of these models, you're going to have that professional development time built in where a lot of times you're going to be able to create those things. So now again, it's not going to be every, it's not going to be cookie cutter across the country where every school is going to have this. So it's going to be a little bit different in, in different places, but there should be, if the school truly wants to be successful in this model, they're going to have to provide schools or excuse me, teachers with the time to be able to plan and then meet with their PLCs in order to create these things. Absolutely. The district has to make sure that they find the time. The school has to make sure they uh, allot the time and the teachers have to be willing to spend that time in order to make um, this experience great. Now, another thing that school districts have to understand as well is that a common LMS is absolutely needed in this situation. And what I mean by that is this, I know a lot of schools out there who use both uh, Microsoft 365, Microsoft Teams, and G Suite, so Google Classroom. And, and they tell their teachers, you know what, we want our students to have understanding of all of it, so you get to choose what you wanna do, and you get to choose how you, you get to do it. Um, or the district says, um, 
you know, this school can choose what they want to do and this school can choose what they want to do. And I'm telling you right now, that's going to be so confusing to students and parents during this time. Because if you have the teachers that can choose whatever they want, then you're going to have students in the secondary classes who have some classes in Microsoft Teams and some classes in Google Classroom. And they're going to forget which one and they're, not, they're going to forget to look at one. It's going to be confusing. Or if you have parents that are auditing their students and checking in on their classes, they're not going to know which one to log into. It's going to cause confusion. So I truly implore schools to, to, uh, to choose one. For at least for this time, so that it's not confusing for parents and it's not confusing for students. For sure. And um, I, I got to, when you said the thing about schools that have Microsoft and Google both, I had to chuckle under my breath a little bit because I forget where I saw this, but I saw a school or a district's mandate for this fall, the instructions on how to create a Google Classroom and the expectations for teachers using it this coming fall, regardless of what school is going to look like. The funny thing about it was they typed it all out and put it together on a Microsoft Word document. So <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny. I'm like, you're, you're kind of sending a mixed message there right now. You, you want to use Google Classroom, but you're doing it in a Microsoft document, which I mean, you can do Microsoft files in Google Classroom, but I just found that, uh, I, like I said, I had to chuckle a little bit. You're, you're right. Uh, when, when I was doing that distance learning leadership conference this week, at the, and it was with administrators and district leaders, I told them this, I, and because they were like, oh, these are some great ideas. These are great. And I said, now listen, they will work best when you model them as well. If you are asking them to use Google Classroom, you should be using Google Classroom in some way. If you're asking them to use Flipgrid, you should be using Flipgrid in some way. I said, that's how it's going to work. You can't ask them to use something, and then you've never touched it. I go, the first step is learning about it. And that's what you were here for. And now you need to go out and use it and show your teachers how it can be beneficial by modeling it, be a good modeler. And so that was very important. So yeah, modeling all of your Google stuff on a Microsoft document, while that's, that's okay to do, you're kind of sending mixed signals. You're absolutely right. So, but that's not just the only thing that's out there. Microsoft Teams, Google Classroom there. I mean, there's other ones out there. So Schoology, I, this is one that uh, you and I have been part of a conversation last few days on the pros and cons of Schoology. And I haven't been able to give any input on it because I've never experienced anything with Schoology, but there's other ones that are out there as well. There's Canvas is one of them. So um, this, may, this may sound like a ridiculous question. Is Edmodo still a thing? You know, I don't, I, maybe in pockets. I, I think it, it, it became too much like a Facebook for just educators and educators liked Facebook. So they just went to Facebook, but I'm sure there's still Edmodo fans out there. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of what you're using, there, there's no right or wrong LMS or, or what I'm starting to see people call things like Google Cla Classroom is a, is a content management system, a CMS. So, you yeah. know, it doesn't matter what you're using. You just got to pick one of them. You and, do and, and, and make it consistent across the board and set expectations on how teachers are going to use those things. Because like you said, you can't have one teacher using teams and another teacher using Google classroom, or you say, we're all going to use Google classroom. But then that one teacher say, well, I'm not going to use Google classroom at all. I'll just email stuff to kids. Yep. So it, it has to be consistent and, and administration, they need to take the lead on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like you said, there are lots of LMSs out there and, and, but the same strategies for all of them 
should be in, in employed. So he, let me let me tell you what I'm talking about. Number one, in a hybrid environment, you cannot be posting assignments whenever you as the teacher feel like it. You can't do it. It's going to confuse the kids. They're not going to know when one popped up. They're not going to know when to check. You should have a consistent date where you post the assignments for the week. I would say Sunday night or Monday morning. So the kids get all of the expectations on Monday. By Friday, these are the things I would like you to get done. Since everybody's home life is different, you can bide your time in any way that you'd like. But by Friday, I would like these things to get done. So have a consistent model that way. Number two, post an agenda as an assignment. Canvas will let you do that. Microsoft Teams will let you do that. Google Classroom will let you do that. Post your agenda as an assignment and tell your students, by the end of Monday, by the end of day one this week, all I have wanted you to do is to read through it, come up with any questions you have, and if you don't have any questions, mark that as done. And that's your attendance for Monday. So at least you know they've read the agenda, they know what to do that week, so they know what to get done. Post that right there. And finally, if you do have an LMS that allows you to separate out topics or separate out everything, I recommend for you not to do that right now. I recommend the only thing you do is have topics for which week you're on. So the top topic, week, June 15th to 19th. And then right beneath it, the first assignment, the agenda. And then everything else for that one particular week underneath. It'll just make it easier for students to go, did Mr. Marquez post in our in our uh, question of the day? Did Mr. Marquez post in our labs this week? Did Mr. It's not, it's, it, it won't be confusing if you just post right beneath one topic called week of every single week. Yeah, just the, the, the more simple you can make it, the better off everybody's going to be and the less confusion that is going to be out there when it comes to those things. So now because many of these models are looking like there's going to be some face-to-face -face interaction, I feel that one of the other important things besides the communication is also just checking in with students to see how they're doing. Okay. That self-care and that, that SEL piece to me is very, very important as well. So when you have those students, it can't be, if you're going to see them for two hours a week, face to face, you can't expect two hours of just nonstop lecture activities, academic type assignments. It has to, you have to have time interspersed in there, whether it's planned out where, you know, at this time when I see you, we're just going to take a break and chat or something like that, or if it's more spontaneous, but either way you have to have something where it's not going to be academic in nature because kids are going to be struggling. Um, homes are very different across uh, students and they're going to be struggling and you got to make sure that kids are doing all right. And then if you can't help a student, there are so many resources in your school that you can use to help out. So use your counselor's department. Uh, they're, they're very good with those kinds of things. And then, and then same with the online portion of it as well, throw some activities in there that have absolutely nothing to do with your con content. Just put some stuff in there just that that's fun. So Flipgrid's great for this. So, Put something out there about post a video of you and your dog or, you know, something fun that you're, you've been doing lately. So I had, I had a student that would pop on and she was showing me how to make balloon animals on Flipgrid over the course of the last few months. So it, it was, that was really entertaining. I had another student that he's a bass guitar player and would just come on and play a few seconds of a, of a bass riff and then record that as a video. So, so it, it was really nice to see those things because I was seeing kids as, 
human beings and not just students, but it also was a nice release for them too, to just get away from content. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, teachers have got to be understanding. They have to be flexible in what they're doing, but they have to be that confidant as well, because depending on your community, your community, your family, their families could have been hit extremely hard during this pandemic. I mean, there is a huge number of unemployed people in this country at the moment because of the pandemic and your students, their family may be one of them. And maybe the learning happening is not the number one thing on their mind at the moment. So we have to be flexible. We have to be understanding. We still want to be giving high quality education, but we really have to approach teaching in a little bit different way um, when it comes to face-to-face, -face. because exactly like what you said, sometimes kids just want somebody to talk to. Sometimes they just want to check in. Um, and we have to be understanding of that. So yeah, just don't sit there and lecture them for the 50 minutes or hour and 20 minutes you have them, right? Be that, be that person that they can look up to and, 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 and you know, you're going to teach them things, but it doesn't all have to be done synchronously, right? The new learning can happen asynchronously. And then the conversations about that learning can happen synchronously. Well, you have to figure that out. And we have to make sure teachers understand that that shift in understanding needs to happen. So over the course of the past well, 45 minutes or so, I mean, we, you and I have tossed out a lot of different ideas, things that we've tried and we know work and things that we anticipate to work. But really, I mean, we have no idea how this is really going to, I mean, this is all hypothetical at this point. So uh, we're doing this in June. There's a really good chance that we're going to have a very similar episode to this come August or September as well, just kind of as an update, just based on really what's going on. So, but getting these ideas out now, it, it, I think is essential to do. I mean, we're, we're in the throes of summer right now. And especially because the end of this past school year was just so tough on so many, a lot of people are trying to unplug, but just getting the wheels going a little bit, thinking about these things is important right now, in my opinion, just because it's just going to make us that much better prepared for whatever school is going to be come fall. Yeah, and we started this episode talking about communication, right, from teachers to parents. But now we need, we need to finish the episode talking about communication from administrators to their staff because teachers need to be in on these discussions, not only to be understanding and to give input on what they would like to see happen in the fall, but by talking these scenarios out, by talking out what you are planning on doing, by talking out how you are planning to approach your face-to-face -face versus distance learning model, by talking all those things out, you may be bringing up ideas in other teachers, which may then spur other ideas that they can share with you. Ideas come from speaking with one another, and, I, and then solutions come from, from those conversations and speaking with one another. So if we're doing all of this in a bubble, or if you're only selecting a little committee, committee of teachers and then not, not having everybody else involved, you're only getting a small pocket of ideas. Open it up to everybody. Find some kind of resource where everybody can give their ideas. Use something like a Padlet where teachers can go in and leave a video message or a voice message or a typed message of what they think should be done. Use something like a Flipgrid where you can ask your, your teachers or your fellow administrators what do you want to do or how do you want to do this or what are some of your ideas? There's a lot of ways right now that we can be doing communication with our staff and administrators to be a positive change and involve all the community that I hope districts are doing right now. So I surely hope if you're an administrator listening, 
that that is something that is on top of your mind because that is how fall will be absolutely successful. And if you're a teacher that's receiving emails with surveys and communication from your school or your district, say something about the fact that you got that because another thing I'm hearing is that districts and schools are sending these things out, but not every teacher and not everybody that's involved in the community, excuse me, is receiving this communication. So I, I filled out a form the other day that I thought, oh, everybody must have got this. And then I come to find out there was about 10 people I talked to that had no idea what I was talking about. So when you receive these things, just communicate with each other, your colleagues and say, hey, did you fill out that form? Or um, what, what are your thoughts on the information that came out from so-and-so at the district level? So just again, uh, it, it sparks a conversation to prepare but it also, it may spark a conversation. Wait, wait, what are you talking about? I have no idea. So, so people can have, have their voice be heard on these things. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to mention is, you know, a school board, right? If you're having a school board meeting, a lot of people have already been uh, broadcasting those, uh, you know, throughout the days for the, for a long time. But I, I think boards and schools, they need to have what are called town hall meetings, right? Have the community be able to ask questions and not have it be a board meeting, but just have a conversation with the community to see how they are feeling. Because all of our communities are extremely diverse. We have a, a vast array of people in them, and we need to make sure we are hearing from all of them. And if we're sending out everything digital to, digitally to them, they may not see it. So we need to find ways to involve all of our community members um, that could be actual physical flyers going out to get their recommendations. It could be a physical phone call that somebody from the district starts calling people that they're not getting responses from. We need to reach out and make sure everybody's voice is heard because not every member of our community has easy access to technology like some other members of our community do. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Joe, this has been... Very good. So you and I, we don't do just the two of us real often on these shows, but um, I, I always feel like we always have a really great conversation whenever we do. And this one certainly did not disappoint. No, absolutely. And Kyle, I always love talking to you. And we always say, you know, how are we going to fill an hour with just the two of us? And we end up always going over an hour because we just have so much fun talking to one another. Um, so I just want to say thank you for, for being there for me. And, and I, I know there's some rough times going around in the United States and we have, um, we have uh, many educators who, uh, who, who you know, need lifting up and, and, and need support, and we support every single one of our educators. Um, and, and remember, if you're listening to this, if, if you're somebody that innovates, if you're somebody that loves your kids, if you're somebody that will do anything for education, you're already a member of the EdTech Mar Army, and we support you 100%. For sure. So please make sure, check out our show notes for our Flipgrid activity we have so you can uh, proclaim your allegiance to the EdTech Army. We'd love to be able to feature you at the beginning of the show uh, like we do with so many of our episodes. So, And then check out our YouTube channel and our website and really connect with us as well. We, we shared our Twitter accounts at the beginning of the show. Connect with us and because uh, we're all in this together. Absolutely. And we're firm believers in bettering ourselves in mind, body, and spirit. And this episode is being released on June 20th, which is the inaugural day of the virtual 5K. The virtual 5K is something that Ed Campos, a member of the EdTech Army, has put together uh, for the member of the education community. So if you want to support Flatten the Curve, Flatten the Belly, 
go ahead and join us tomorrow and just virtually run or walk or walk your dog or push your stroller for 5K. 5K is not 5,000 miles, by the way. That's what I learned from Roland that 5K is not 5,000 miles. It's only like 3.1. So do something tomorrow and proclaim it on Twitter and hashtag flatten the belly or flatten the curve, flatten the belly. And we will see you in the virtual race. So thank you. Oh, Kyle. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, I, I'm not sure if I will be participating in that or not. Uh, I've just recently started to get back into running mode a little bit. I had some knee issues for a few years. Uh, all those years of playing football finally caught up to me. I was very fortunate throughout my football career, uh, even into college, where I, I was never really seriously hurt until the very end when I hurt my shoulder, and that ended my career. But all the wear and tear finally caught up on the knees. But the knees have been feeling pretty good in the light running I've been doing lately. But uh, so anybody participating in the virtual 5K, uh, I'm, I'm behind you. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for being a, a part of the EdTech Army and supporting the mission of the EdTech Army, which is to speak encouraging words, to bring everybody up and leave nobody behind. Thank you so much for everything you do for your students. Thank you so much for everything you do to our education profession. And thank you so much for being the amazing innovator that we know you are. Have yourself a wonderful day.